Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. So exactly what is a saint? One little boy said that saints are those stained glass figures that block out the sunlight. Another young man answered him back and said, no, actually, saints are the people who let the light shine through. Really, in a simplified theology, that's exactly what a saint is. A saint could be defined as one in whom the light of Christ exists and from whom the light of Christ exudes. If someone were to ask you if you were a saint, what would you say? You may hesitate to answer like I sometimes do. And one reason for that is because the word saint has come to mean things that are void of its true biblical meaning. The term has come very far from how it was used in the New Testament. So some would say, They're not a saint because saints are people who live on a much different and higher spiritual level than the rest of us. We may avoid calling ourselves saints because many people may misunderstand us if we did. It seems so boastful to say that we're a saint. For many, a saint is really a dead person, a church-like figure memorialized in stained glass in a statue form at a Catholic church. To be very frank with you, it's hard for many true Christians to be identified as a saint because they only know a saint as what the Roman Catholic Church has said it is. Catholic theology says, and this is a quote, that a saint is one who has exhibited unsurpassable devotion to Christ. Beloved, if that's the definition, then I know I don't have any business coming close to identifying as a saint. The problem with that definition is, is that it's not biblical. The Roman Catholic Church says that people who have lived with unsurpassable devotion to Christ are to be canonized. That basically means to be made the spiritual standard, to be lifted up as the spiritual model. So therefore, stained glass windows and statues are made to them and of them, and thus they're to be venerated. So once we canonize them, we have to then put a model of them somewhere for people to see them, and then we venerate them, which means that we pray to them, or we appeal to them, or we praise them, or exalt them, or honor them. And sometimes we'll see people even kissing these statues, kneeling before these figures, bringing them flowers or gifts, and Others will burn candles and light candles in some cathedral to honor the saints. Some will burn incense, and other times people will just simply meditate on the virtues of that saint. The Roman Catholic Church teaches that these saints, these who lived unsurpassable devotion to Christ in this life, have been elevated or exalted in their heavenly life, and therefore they have special clout with God. So they're taught that if people would appeal to them and honor them, then they can intercede with God on their behalf and have their needs met. They become the intercessor, the go-between between between us and God. 
All we have to do is acknowledge their greatness and in return, they take our favors to God. Another thing that the Roman Catholic Church teaches is that the saints have the special job of interceding with God for the souls of those that are in purgatory. So as one prays to a saint, in a sense, one is pleading with that saint to appeal to God to release the one you love from the pain of purgatory. You will see, frequently see in the Roman Catholic Church candles at the feet of the saints. And as long as that candle burns, there is hope that that saint is interceding for your loved one in purgatory. Let me just pause for a moment and say this. The Bible in no way and nowhere teaches any of this about the saints. There is only one intercessor in heaven, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is no place ever mentioned in anywhere in the Bible as a place called purgatory. This is really a man-made tradition that has been elevated above the Scriptures and should be rejected as a complete and outright lie. Nevertheless, this understanding of what the saints are affects why we are hesitant to call ourselves saints. Beloved, Paul, in the book of Philippians, in the Bible, doesn't hesitate to call all believers, all believers, saints. He uses the term over 60 times in his letters, and most of the time he's referencing just very ordinary people, very ordinary Christians. So the term saint is very broad and very commonly used. You would look in your Bibles in Philippians. If you go ahead and take and turn there, we'll be in Philippians 4. But I want you to turn back to Philippians chapter 1, and this isn't going to be up on the screen. I'm just going to read this. But Paul begins and he says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. In other words, there isn't a distinction between sainthood among those who are actually leading the church and doing great things for God and, and those who maybe are just your normal folks. And Paul doesn't see that bifurcation or that distinction, if you will, because we believe in the priesthood of the believer. We believe that we're all saints and all have equal access to God. So this morning, in the book of Philippians, we're going to close the book in Philippians chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. What I want to speak to you this morning on is the simple subject of sainthood 101, the basics on saints. We know now a little bit what a saint is not, but I haven't answered the question, what is a saint? But before I answer the question, what is a saint, I know that you're probably sitting here thinking this question, boy, uh, that doesn't sound too interesting, so why would you do that? Well, I don't have a choice because the Bible is going to teach on it, so therefore I have to. This is just what's up next in the book of Philippians. Well, that's one reason. But the other reason is simply this. You have to understand that our activity does not determine my identity. My identity determines my activity. Who I am determines what I do, not what I do determines who I am. So therefore, if Paul calls me and tells me that I am identified as a saint, then I have to understand that identity before I can have the activity that follows to live like a saint. So it would be critically important for us to understand that if we're going to live like saints, which we're called to live, we have to understand what it means to be a saint in identity. And that's exactly what Paul lays out for us in the book of Philippians 
chapter 4, verses 20 through 23. So I wonder, would you stand together with me as we read from God's Word? Hear now the Word of the Lord. Philippians 4, verses 20 through 23. Paul says, Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. And the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So let's just look at this real quickly. First of all, let's cover the reality of the saints. The reality of the saints. The truth is that there are real saints, and if you are a born-again follower of Christ, you are one. (laughs) But how does this happen? How how does it how is this possible? Well, look at this. The saints are singled out by Christ. The saints are singled out by Christ. Paul says, "Greet every saint." He doesn't use a generic blanket term. He could have said differently in the Greek, but but he doesn't. His language is like this: "Greet every single solitary one of them." He doesn't want anybody to feel left out because he knows that every person in Christ is a saint. Every saved person is a saint, and they matter to Jesus. Saints are never saved in mass, but one by one. (laughs) There's no family or group plan to come into the body of Christ. In other words, just because you were born to parents who brought you to church, baptized as a baby, or whatever it is, doesn't mean that you're a part of the body of Christ. You must come before God and and confess your sin and trust in Jesus as your only Savior. It's only Jesus and His blood that can forgive anyone of their sins. No good works can help with this. It's Jesus is the perfect, sinless, substitutionary sacrifice is the only way that anyone can have forgiveness of their sins. Thus, when I believe that and receive that, I, I place my faith in Christ, I become a saint. Because I've been singled out by Christ. And at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes me into the body of Christ, which is called the fellowship of the saints. Not only are saints singled out by Christ, they're also set apart for Christ. Because he says there, greet every saint. Now somebody has asked, where did that term come from? What What is a saint? Well, the word saint literally means a holy one or The better definition of holiness is one who's been utterly set apart. You have to understand this because God is the original OG saint. God is the holy one. He is the one that's set apart and separated. Set apart and separated from what? Well, God is set apart and separated from sin. That attribute is so unique to him that the Bible often says this, our God is holy, holy, holy. God is utterly distinct from sin. So then what is a saint? A saint is one who's also been separated. He's been set apart from sin and set unto God for holy purposes. Thus, anyone who has come to faith in Christ and has been forgiven of their sin through faith alone in Jesus is a saint. They have been separated from sin and set apart for Jesus. But the Catholic Church wants us to think that these are super-Christians who've set themselves apart by their noble service, by their miracles and such. So therefore, we would say, me? Well, I'm not a saint. I'm just an average Joe. And some of us 
struggle with sin, so therefore we say, well, then I can't be a saint. But, but you have to understand there's this tension in the biblical life of the, the Christian that, that while I am practically working out my sainthood, positionally, I'm all saints. That because I'm in Christ, I'm seen through the eyes of God as being perfect through the blood of Jesus, and I'm still working that out here. So while I might not be getting it right here as a saint, I've already got it right there as a saint because of Jesus. And we have to continue to hold that tension. It's intimacy that always precedes my actions. It's a saint is not only what I do, but it's really who I am. And if it's who I am, then it can determine what I do because I've been set apart for Christ. But then the third thing is saints are situated in Christ. Paul says there to greet every saint in verse 21 in Christ Jesus. That's where this sainthood takes place. This is the definition of the Christian's identity that we are in Jesus. You see, it's not that we just believe and trust in Christ. We are in Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit and he indwells the saint. We are set apart unto God through union with Jesus. In other words, his righteousness is imputed to us. What in the world does that mean? (laughs) Well, If you've ever had something credited to your account, you know what the word imputed means. Or imputed means that it's something that I didn't have, but was given to me. I didn't have righteousness. I didn't have holiness. I didn't have any of that. But Christ gave me his righteousness. He imputed, he credited it to my account, and he took my sin and put it on his. We have been situated now in Christ. In other words, to say it like this, that Christ is the focus of the saints. The saints are not the focus. If we look through a piece of red glass, everything would be red. If I look through a a blue glass, everything is blue. If I uh, look through yellow glass, everything is yellow. The glorious truth is this, that when we believe in the Lord Jesus as our Savior, God looks at us through the Lord Jesus. He sees in us all the white holiness of his Son. At salvation, we're given Christ's righteousness and his holiness, and he takes on my sin. So God sees me in Christ been placed in Christ, and I have all that Christ has, including his holiness. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I live by right now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says that, that, that Christ lives in me, that, that I am in Christ. MacArthur would say it this way. He says, people aren't in Buddha. They just believe the teachings of Buddha. People aren't in Muhammad. They just believe the teachings of Muhammad. They aren't in Mary Baker Eddy. They, they aren't in a religious leader. They aren't in the swamis or the yoga leaders or the cult leaders. That kind of union of being in someone is definitively and distinctively Christian. And we are therefore distinctively the separated ones who are the saints because we are in Christ. Therefore, there should be no reluctance in your heart and in your mind calling yourself a saint. Think about it. The Corinthian church was a very troubled and very sinful church. But look at what Paul writes to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Paul, called an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Sothenes, our brother, 
to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. Did you see that? Saints by calling. The reality is, is that we have been called to Christ, called in Christ, and now we can be called little Christ. That's why we're called Christians. And another way to say Christian is to say saint. One who's been separated. The reality is that anyone who's been separated from sin and separated from sin by Christ and unto God is a saint. Set apart from sin not set apart because you don't sin. That would be where the Roman Catholic Church gets this wrong again. It's because they've reached some sainthood established where they, they just unsurpass and they no longer sin anymore, so therefore they're a saint. We're saints. We're set apart from sin, not set apart because we don't sin. The reality is the saints is that they do exist because of these things. But then if I am a saint, then what would be the response? So let's look at the response of the saints. Okay, so I'm, I'm in Christ and I'm a saint. So then what does that look like? What do saints do? <laughs> the first thing is this. Saints pursue particular actions of faith based on truth. Saints pursue particular actions of faith based on truth. Verse 20, he says, Now to God, our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Saints, really what we do is we worship. Well, let me say it differently. Saints worship, they're not to be worshiped. Not only the saints known for the relationship to God through Christ, but they're known for their worship. Verse 20 is a doxology. Doxology comes from a Greek word that means glory. A doxology is something that ascribes glory to God. And here's what I'm trying to teach you about the Word of God this morning. Listen to me. Doxologies are responses of praise and worship of truth that God has given us. Doxologies are a response to revealed truth. You have to get this right. Saints pursue the particular action of faith in worship based on the revealed truth of God. So what has just been revealed that would cause Paul, does a saint, to break out in worship? Well, he's preached the whole book of Philippians. And two things we've just covered recently is that, man, we can do all things in Christ who strengthen us and that our God should supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus, that, that God's taking care of it all. Man, he's worthy of that, but that's revealed truth that then elicits in us the response is that we worship God. So praise God and our Father forever and ever, amen, Paul says. This is what saints do. They pursue this based on Truth. We see this in Romans chapter 11. The first 10 chapters of Romans 11, Paul is it's talking about just these incredible truths about God and sin and salvation and sanctification and Jesus Christ. And he gets to Romans 11.33 and he says, Oh, the depth and the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how what? unfathomable his ways. He breaks out in, into spontaneous worship based on the revealed truth of the word of God. Saints are the ones who worship, not the ones who are worshiped. They're the ones who exalt, not the exalted ones, because saints pursue particular actions of faith based on truth. But here's something else. Saints pursue personal affection for the Father based on truth. They pursue personal affection for the Father based on truth. He says to God, our Father. 
This is worship in a very personal way. God, our Father, is the one to be worshipped. And when we come to faith in Christ, we become children and God becomes our Father. John 1.12 says it this way. But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. But listen, we can't worship God and God as our Father unless we know who he is. So this goes back to the first point. The only way that we're going to know who God is is through the revealed truth of God. I can't truly worship God if I don't understand who he is. And so in John 4, 23, the Bible says this, but an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. You see, listen to me. Saints are those who pursue this personal affection for the Father based on truth. You see, saints are not like pagans who go before a God in fear and shame and under threat. We go to our Father in worship. Romans 8.15 says it this way, but you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption of sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So then what is the best revelation of God and in the Word of God that tells us about our Father? It's none other than Jesus Christ. So the worship that we have is really the revelation of who Jesus is. That's why we make much of the Word of God and Jesus Christ, the Son of God, in our worship. To this, Paul says, amen. May it be so. May it be so. So what is the response of saints? It's worship. There's a reality of the saints. There's a response of the saints. And then thirdly, let's look at the relationships of the saints. The relationships of the saints. Paul gives a couple of greetings here. He's wanting to express the desire for well-being and spiritual welfare of the saints. And this care and concern is what defines the relationships of the saints. We see first that saints are expressive of love for their siblings. Saints are expressive of their love for siblings. In verse 21, he says, greet every saint. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. In Jesus, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a common father through the new birth, and we're all members of the same family. And that means that that transcends all social, racial, and even national barriers. That's awesome. Earlier, we looked at how Paul wanted to make sure that every saint was greeted. This is how saints are expressive of their love for their siblings. They make sure that the siblings know of their care for each other. There's something else about this relationship, and that's this. Saints are exceptionally lending of their support. They're exceptionally lending of their support because Paul says, hey, greet every saint, but the brethren who are with me greet you. That's interesting, Paul. Who who are those brethren? Remember, Paul was in prison, and that was not a good place, and and we, we see some things go on, but, but, but as one commentator says, we know that during his imprisonment, Timothy was, was with him because he refers to Timothy way back in chapter 1, verse 1. And then in chapter 2, verse 19, Timothy was his protege, his son in the faith. Timothy was this great and godly man, 30 years the junior, but nevertheless unique and gifted, and it was with Paul. But also Epaphroditus was there. Epaphroditus was the godly saint who had come to Philippi, and he was with Paul. And you know the character of him. He was a devout Christian, even risked his life for this. So, so Timothy there, and Epaphroditus was there, but chapter 1, verse 14 indicates that there were some other brethren who were courageously preaching the word of God without fear there. So there was other group of evangelists there. 
In addition, it's very likely that Tychicus and Aristarchus were there, well-known and noble Christians. And many scholars tell us this, that even Luke and Mark were there. We compare all the data we have, that's a formidable duo, namely the two who wrote the Gospels, Mark and Luke, and some have suggested this, that even Onesimus was there, the runaway slave that ran to Paul and was converted to Christ and then went back to serve Philemon. Others would even say that a man, Jesus Justice, was there. And then there's some unnamed people who were there with him, we find from reading historical historical documents. The point is this, the saints are exceptionally lending of their support. One more thing this tells us is that saints are on equal levels in their standing. On equal levels in their standing, out of some of these brethren, certainly some should be held above others, right? I mean, shouldn't we elevate Epaphroditus? I mean, shouldn't we elevate Timothy? How about Tychicus and Aristarchus? What about Mark and Luke? Shouldn't we elevate them above the others? Paul says no, because he puts everybody on the same field and he calls them all brethren. The brethren preaching. Those who are with me, they're the brother, and they greet you. There's no levels. There's no greater standing. We're all level at the cross. Isn't it any wonder then that Jesus himself in Matthew 23 said to the Jewish leaders and to the apostles, don't call any man father, and don't let any man pass himself off as superior to the brotherhood, In other words, we're all saints. There's none superior to the other. We're differently gifted and and at points differently faithful, but we're all one brother and sister in Christ. We're one body of saints. We're all just the same in Christ. Saints are not elevated. A saint is not one who's lived an unsurpassable devotion to Christ. A saint is one who just lives in Christ. It's all because of what God has done in us through grace that we're saints, right? Right? 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says it this way. First, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace in me did not prove to, toward me to prove vain, but, but I labored even more than all them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. It's because of grace that we're all level, because we all need grace. And here's the last thing. How about the resources of the saints? The saints all have a couple of resources in common. The first one, and very quickly, is this. Saints have the clear gospel of Jesus. Aren't you glad? Saints have the clear gospel of Jesus. Verse 22, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, that's probably reference to to his family, Caesar's family. But more than likely, it's a reference to those of the praetorian guard who were surrounding Paul that were working within Caesar's household. These guards whom Paul knew because he was constantly chained to them. Well, how do I know that these are some of the ones that, that have been saved by the clear gospel? Because Philippians 1.13. Philippians 1.13 says this. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian God and to everyone else. That the cause of Christ, that's why he's there. And I, we can imagine and we know from, from tracing church history that some of the people who were Paul's prisoners became followers of Jesus Christ because of Paul's constant witness and because of the other brothers that come sharing the clear gospel of Jesus. These people heard Paul time after time give the very clear gospel of Jesus. But others, Paul says, were to be greeted as well, and Paul calls them saints. 
Remember what we said about this earlier, that the saint is one who turns from sin and turns to God, being set apart from sin and, and, and to God through faith and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the resource of the saints. It's not doing good works and it's not miracles that, that make me a saint. It's actually just sharing the gospel, the clear gospel of Jesus. But I need to remind you that just because we are saints and have the clear gospel doesn't mean that it'll be easy and that people are going to treat you like you're a saint. The time Paul wrote this letter, emperor there was a very wicked man. His name was Nero. He came to power at age 17, and his mother had poisoned her third husband, Claudius, who happened to be her own uncle. And five years later, Nero had his mother killed because she was getting a little pushy. Three years after that, he had his own wife killed so that he could marry another man's wife. Nero then murdered all of his top officials. And with all that going on, Working for Caesar would have been a very corrupt and very deadly environment, but yet Paul says, greet all those who are in Caesar's household. In other words, I can be in a very wicked environment, yet still proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus can shine in any environment, just like it can in, in a great environment. So the, the resource that I have is not my circumstances, it's the clear gospel of Jesus. But then the last thing is this, saints have the constant grace of Jesus, and I'm thankful for this. Saints have the constant grace of Jesus. Verse 23, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. <laughs> The grace of God be with you. Grace is unmerited favor shown to those who deserve judgment. Listen to me. Without grace, you and I would have never received the gospel. We don't deserve it. We can never earn it. Without grace, there are no saints. Grace is how I was saved. Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says this. God says that, listen, I'm not saved as a result of works so that, so that no one can boast, but what? The Bible says that we have been saved by grace, through faith, not as a result of works that any should boast, but we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. In other words, it's by grace that I even came to be saved, but it's grace is how I stay in Romans 5, 2 says this through whom we've also obtained favor, our introduction by faith and into this grace in which we stand. Listen, grace is how I continue in my salvation. Did you know that you and I are no more deserving of God's grace today than we were the first day we were saved? My life is to be governed by grace, guided by grace, kept by grace, sustained by grace, strengthened by grace, sanctified by grace. Paul starts this letter with grace and he ends this letter with grace. And that's the way it is with our salvation. It starts with grace, it'll stay with grace, and it ends with grace. He says, but, but it's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with your spirit. Paul, what do you mean? He wants the grace of God to get down into our hearts where we all live. He wants us to experience this in the deepest part of who we are, God's grace. But whose grace is it, Paul? Who did you say the grace of Jesus? It's very interesting to me as I studied this week that I went back and looked at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus and Philemon, and every single one of them ends with a grace for Christ to be theirs. 
Why? Because our lives as saints depend on grace, undeserved, beneficent love from God to an unworthy sinner. And Paul wants us to know the fullness of that grace. But again, whose grace is it, Paul? It's Jesus's grace. That's the theme of the saint. It's Jesus. What a statement. Listen, he's the theme of this whole letter. Did you get it? Did you see it? The name of Christ is mentioned 40 times in four chapters. It's the heart of the whole thing. It is Jesus who is central to Philippians. Paul began by describing himself as a slave of Jesus. He addresses Christians as saints in Jesus. He, when he first to his imprisonment, he says, my bonds are in Jesus. When he speaks about what he says his life is, for him to live is Jesus. When he speaks about death, he says, for me to die is Jesus. When he exhorts people to godly conduct, it's to be like Jesus. When he calls for the proper attitudes, it's to have the mind of Jesus. When he speaks of choices and desires and hopes, he says it's all to be built on Jesus. When he speaks about his joy, it's the joy of Jesus. When he speaks about his strength, it's the strength of Jesus. When he calls for power and knowledge, and fellowship. It is the knowledge and the power and the fellowship of Jesus and his sufferings that he longs for. When he hopes for eternal glory, he says, I'm looking for Jesus. And when it's spiritual steadfastness he needs, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus that we all need. Amen. Nothing else called by Christ, saved by Christ, to have the mind of Christ, to serve Christ as a saint. We are holy saints. And we're not all that we should be. But praise God, we're not all that we used to be. And we're moving more and more to be called these things as saints. Oscar, if you and those who are going to sing for us would come. I guess today I wanted to share with you that we start and we stay a saint by grace, and it's this amazing grace. So what are the basics then of sainthood? The reality is that saints are just normal Christians who've been saved from sin. Therefore, that leads us to the response of just worship based on truth found in God's Word. The relationships that we have amongst each other are just so loving and caring, and we all stand on equal ground. And the resource that we all have is the gospel and the grace of the Lord Jesus so that we can continue to share how others can join the fellowship of the saints. So really then, what, how would you respond? Well, I think the response is pretty clear. There's a song we all like to sing. It's called Amazing Grace. You received the revealed word of God this morning. And as a saint, your response is just to worship. So I'm going to invite you right now just to stand your feet and to sing from the bottom of your heart in response to our great King. And praise Him for His amazing grace. That's your response. What do you do with a message like this? Well, you just praise Him. But can I remind you today that I know that there's some listening to the sound of my voice. Some will hear by way of radio. Some of you are tuned in right now on Facebook. Some of you could be in this room right now. And I want you to know this. I don't want you to leave here without knowing grace. That all you have to do today is understand, yes, that you are a sinner. You are separated from God because of your sin. There is no hope for you at all. But praise God, he loved you so much that he was willing to grace you, give you and I what we do not deserve, 
to allow Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to satisfy his wrath on your behalf. And all you have to do is just receive grace. I know you don't deserve it. I know you can't earn it. I know you probably don't feel worthy. None of us do. That's why it's called grace. So if you need Jesus Christ this morning, I'm going to be down here. I'm going to be right here in the front. Pray that you'd come and just grab me by the hand and say, let's talk about Jesus. And I'd be more than happy to. But for the rest of us, I don't know what the Lord may have you to do. Maybe you need to pray about something. You need to uh, just come down and talk about something. You need to talk to somebody there. I don't know really what you want to do. But I know this, I want us all to sing about this amazing grace.